0: If State Senator Will Krause wants to become Missouri's next Secretary of State, he'll have to defeat a man with a very familiar last name. The Lee Summit Republican tells us his strategy and vision on another edition of Politically Speaking. Nine, eight, seven, six, six, five,
1: five, four,
0: three, two,
1: one... Uh, I think that is fair as to I say. say.
0: hands to kiss and babies to shake. But, uh, <laughs> you know,
1: I think my record speaks for itself. That's a really good question.
0: Hello and welcome to the Politically Speaking podcast. I'm your host, Jason Rosenbaum, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. Joining me in studio today in St. Louis is...
2: Colleague Joe Manis.
0: And returning to the show, but joining us for the first time in studio in St. Louis, we have as our special guest today... Will Krauss. A state senator from Lee Summit, a Republican, and a candidate for Secretary of State. As I just alluded to, you were on the show in February 2015 when you had just announced for Secretary of State, but we talked about that race for maybe five or ten minutes. You didn't have an opponent in the Republican primary officially yet. So enough has changed to where we want to have you back and talk about this race with a little bit more specificity.
2: Right, and uh, I think Senator Krauss will formally end our podcast with people major people running in the um, August 2nd primaries.
0: We've had a lot of people on. We're, I, I, we're going to have other podcasts after that, but there are going to be people who are not running for anything. So why did you decide to to run for Secretary of State? You'd been in the Missouri House for a time, and you're in the Missouri Senate now. What prompted you to get in this race?
1: Well, in 2003, I was flying Chinook helicopters in Iraq. <laughs> and one particular day, November 1st, we were taking off out of Baghdad International heading out west with troops and cargo. We dropped our first load and went back to Baghdad from the west to the east to pick up a second load, and then we headed back out to a second base. And at that point, we decided we wanted to change our direction because we'd flown west of Baghdad three times that day. And so we headed south a good distance and then came back in to Baghdad International from the south, landing to the north. The very next day, November second, two 2003, a Chinook was shot down west of Baghdad International. Sixteen soldiers died that day we hadn't changed our direction, would that have happened to us? Well, we need to change the direction in the Secretary of State's office. That's why in July of 2014, I announced that I was going to run against the Democrat incumbent. There was a rampant signature fraud on an initiative petition, and very little has been done on that. Uh, we need a Secretary of State that's going to root out all the fraud in the election process, and I'm looking forward to talking a little bit about that today.
0: So, and this is a question I've asked um, not only statewide candidates like Eric Greitens, but also state Senate candidates like uh, Stephen Weber, who are both veterans. How did that experience in the military kind of frame your mindset toward political life? Because I've noticed when we've had people on the show who have been in Iraq or Afghanistan, like Representative Weber, or or who were in the war on terror like Representative Kurtman, they seem to have a a different vantage point than maybe non-veteran. I'd be interested in your take on that.
1: You you know, I think that when you step on the battlefield and you're willing to just defend this country and the freedoms that we have. Uh, I think that the political realm of, in seeing what happens with our liberties in the state house and in, in what's going on in DC, plays a different role. I mean, when you've actually put your life on the line to defend this country for the freedoms, when you come back here, you want to make sure we protect those freedoms at, 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 at almost any cost. And I think if you look at what's going on in Washington, D.C., not so much in Jefferson City, because I think we've done a really good job of pushing back against government overreach. I, I think that you can see that we're heading down the wrong direction and the wrong path. And I think that's why we need to uh, make sure we have somebody that's going to fight for what, what's best for Missouri.
2: Well, so if you're Secretary of State, what sort of wrong path is the federal government taking us on that you would be dealing with as Secretary of State?
1: What kind of wrong path has the federal government has been doing? To
2: yeah, that would affect the operation of Secretary of State.
1: You know, I think that just the overregulation, if you look at Obamacare and how much regulation that draws, and if the, if you look at the Secretary of State's role, they are responsible for um, business filings and regulations, and overseeing all those regulations. So I think what we need to do in the Secretary of State's office is continue to push back and say, "Hey, federal government, stay out of what is should be states' rights and states' business." And I will make sure I'll have a loud voice to push back on anything that the federal government is doing to overregulate business in the state of Missouri.
0: Now you mentioned a signature fraud. Mm-hmm. Can you elaborate a little bit on There's that? There's an initiative
1: petition for early voting, and you had a situation where there were some reports out there. That, over 500 different uh, individuals that had done signature fraud. Boone County actually brought charges on some plate, on, on a couple of people. And I think somewhere up in Northwest Missouri actually tr- tried to do some, uh, but our secretary of state current Secretary of State Jason Kander failed to do very much to push on that. He had an integrity unit and you know if you then if you continue to look at some of the other fraud that's going on, Kinlock, Missouri, 27 people voted from a vacant apartments owned by the city and once again the integrity unit has done nothing to make sure that those 27 people have been brought to justice. We need a Secretary of State that's going to say, you know what? We're not going to let these things slip through the cracks. That's one of the reasons I passed a bill this year, 786, that allowed the Secretary of State to investigate voter fraud, right probable cause and in work with the local prosecutor, and if the local prosecutor chooses not to prosecute, they can appoint the secretary of state to prosecute.
2: Well, so did you get that law because the secretary of state didn't have the power before? I mean, so, in effect, I mean, because Candor at the time, I mean, just playing devil's advocate mm-hmm. here, he was contending that because the way the state law is written, um, most election stuff falls on the local... Election authorities and the local prosecutor. So in other words, like I've, I've dealt with cases where election cases where McCullough or uh, Jennifer Joyce has said, well, we, we can do this and we can't do that. And it's nothing if the secretary of state can do about it.
1: Well, here's what I would say. As, as a statewide office holder, he has every ability to get out there and get media attention drawn to fraud that's going on. And he set up this integrity unit himself, and it investigated, but there was no follow-through. There was no push to get actual charges brought. Uh, right now in Kenlock, Missouri, we have yet to see charges on those 27 people that, have, that, that registered at vacant apartments and voted in a, in a municipal election. And, you know, that's something that we need the Secretary of State to stand up and say, hey, I'm the chief election officer. Officer. There's nothing been done on this. Why are their charges not been brought? Yeah.
2: Now, you've been a major player in the whole photo ID business mm-hmm. in, in the General Assembly this past year. Right. Just so our listeners understand, there will be a photo ID proposal on the November ballot mm-hmm. asking voters whether or not they want to make it legal for the state to require a government-issued photo ID. Without getting into the history, technically, right now, the state of Missouri cannot without changing the Constitution. Correct. Now, but there also was a separate bill, an implementation bill, which would lay out which IDs would be approved, um, how much the state, how the state would deal with people who don't have the information to get the ID, such as birth certificates, that sort of thing. The governor vetoed that. Mm -hmm. Um, Now it's going to be up to the General Assembly to decide in the fall whether or not to override or wait for a new governor. What's your assessment? I mean, particularly since you were a major player in this legislation of what's happened and what should happen.
1: Okay. What, ha- what has happened is, is the Missouri Supreme Court ruled in 2006 that Correct. it's unconstitutional, to have a voter ID law. And so we have to come back and change this constitution. That's what's going to be in front of the voters in November. Uh, I do want to highlight that there's a distinct difference here. Uh, my opponent Uh, Had filed an initiative petition went around told this everyone in the state that he was going to collect 300,000 signatures He failed to turn in one on May 8th. Now we're
2: talking about Jay Ashcroft. Okay, we
1: we uh, we ended up passing the bill after that to put it on the vote uh, On the ballot for Missouri voters to vote on November Uh, I think it's very important that we have somebody that can can get things done and and Don't that doesn't make promises that they can't deliver on Uh, now the, the bill that was vetoed by the governor will be back in September, and I believe that we have overwhelming majorities in the Missouri House and the Senate, and we'll override that, that veto. He vetoed a bill in 2011, and I don't think we had the majorities that we have. I know we didn't have the majorities we have today, so uh, we didn't override that bill. And the bill that was passed in 2011 to go to the voters was thrown out by a court, so it you have to have both. You have to have Correct. the vote of the people to change the Constitution, and then you have to have the, the statutory change to implement the bill.
2: Well, and the statutory change still could, I mean, even if you guys override it, technically there could be a court case or whatever, somebody challenging something in it. So, with you and Jay Ashcroft, this has become sort of a key issue. Mm-hmm. Um, how is this playing out? And how are you getting out your side of the story as far as him not turning in any signatures? Well,
1: I, I've been going on the radio and talking to people. I've been going to media outlets. I've been talking to folks as we travel the state and talking about this. You know, I think this is pretty interesting that my opponent is trying to, to confuse voters on this issue. I mean, he had an opportunity to put it on the ballot. He didn't. He wants to talk about how the people had a voice heard. I will tell you that their voices were squashed by the fact that he didn't turn in those signatures. Uh, I don't know how many signatures he's turned in. He's actually collected. It's disappointing that he's, he's misleading the, vo- the voters in the state of Missouri to think that he did something on voter ID when he failed, Uh, You know, we we collected signatures as I traveled the state since February of 2015. And we had over twenty four hundred people sign our petition. And those people's voices were heard because when I testified in front of the Missouri Senate and on the floor of the Missouri Senate, I said, I have this number of signatures at the time. It was two thousand and now it's twenty four hundred. And those people's voices have been heard because I voiced their 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 signature on that on that on my petition, not the initiative petition.
0: Well, why does it uh, just tell me why it matters in this case? Because we've talked with Jay Ashcroft, we've talked with you before. You both support having a government issued photo identification at the polls. <laughs> what practical difference does this entire squabble actually mean for voters?
1: So it's about getting things done. I think you have a candidate. In my case, that has accomplished many great things. I've sponsored and passed the very first income tax in over 100 years. I've sponsored and got voter ID done. If you look at my opponent's record, you know he he had, when he graduated high school, he went to the Merchant Marine Academy. He was there only for a few years. was there for a few years, but didn't graduate and never served. He failed to serve his time that's required. Uh, in that off as, as going to that school. And then once again, now he comes out and he, he says, I'm going to go collect 300,000 signatures and get this on the ballot. And he failed to get it done. Time and time again, my opponent has failed to accomplish major things. I have a record of accomplishments.
2: Now, your opponent, though, has been able to get some major donations in the last week or so from at least the, one of the state's top Republican donors. Uh, as you're trying to get your message out. Do you feel, A, you're going to have enough money for your final push? B, you have a rather strong, roughly 90-second online ad. You just referenced a part of it. Mm -hmm. Um, Are we going to be seeing parts or all of that on TV soon? I mean, sort of, how are you getting your message out about your criticisms about Jay Ashcroft?
1: You know, um, we're going to be on network TV here shortly and we're going to continue to use the internet as a way to make sure people understand the difference between my opponent and I. Uh, As far as raising money, uh, we we have been able to raise Somewhere around $800,000. And if you look at where we have raised that, a majority of that money comes from below the $5,000 uh, level. So we have been able to talk to people all across the State of Missouri, and they have been contributing at small amounts and all the way up to $5,000. So we, we have the money to get our message out, and you will start to see that in the last few weeks.
0: Now, if I, correct me if I am wrong, but part of that 90 second ad criticizes Jay Ashcroft on Medicaid expansion. Is that mm-hmm. correct? You were one of the few Republicans in 2005 to vote against the Medicaid cuts, right. which I think implicitly meant that you wanted to keep Medicaid at a much higher eligibility level than it Negative. is now. No. Can you just kind of explain that? Because I'm sure that he's going to bring that up. So
1: what happened was we passed a real drastic cut on Medicaid. I voted against it. The very next, well, I think it's very next year, a U.S. Supreme Court not the Supreme Court, U.S. Court ruled that Missouri was out of compliance. We cut things like batteries for quadriplegic yes. wheelchairs. And guess what? The year after that, we passed a bill to reinstate durable medical equipment because that's what the the court said we were out of compliance for. And so I think that I, I made the right vote. I think that the vote, would, the, the cut was too drastic. And I think that what we needed to do was make sure that we had it right and we didn't have it
2: right. Now, at this point... Now, okay, go can ahead.
1: I, can I, you know, if you look... Back at a Senate debate from my opponent, Jay Ashcroft and Jill Shoup, uh, he had an opportunity to come out against Medicaid expansion. And he specifically said something along the lines of, well, that's one way to to handle that issue. In other words, Medicaid expansion is one way to handle that issue. I have been very clear on Medicaid expansion. I have voted against it at every turn uh, in Obamacare in the Missouri Senate. If you look back over the several years, Paul Lavota has had a series of amendments to expand Medicaid, and you will see that I have voted against every one of those.
0: Well, he did until he had to resign, but that's another, that's another <laughs> point
2: altogether. Another podcast. Well,
1: some, somebody else offered an bi- amendment again this year, and I voted against it again this
0: year. Continue, job. Now,
2: Ashcroft's major money from Humphreys, and, of course, Ashcroft's being— been getting assistance the last few months from his father, former Governor um, John Ashcroft, former senator, former attorney general. Um, Do you have any thoughts about whether, I mean, Secretary of State, you would be the state's major um, election official. Do you have any thoughts about campaign finance restrictions, which we now do not have? Mm -hmm. Uh, There have been some Republicans who voted to toss them out in 2008 who have said they wish they And I, I don't hadn't. believe you
0: were one of them. I think you voted against that bill. So can, yeah, yeah, so
2: I'm interested. That's why I'm asking this. I wanted to get your take on whether or not the state needs to have some sort of campaign donation limits, and if you're Secretary of State, if you will be advocating for that.
1: So I actually have evolved on this position. I, I, uh, I can see the benefit of not having limits, and here's why. You can see when somebody gets a million-dollar check, such as— uh, Josh Holly did just the other day from uh, David Humphreys, which is fine. It's just a matter of seeing seeing that. What's going on at the national level with their contribution limits? You have all these packs and you don't know where the money's coming from, and and who who who's donating to who. So I think transparency is more important than campaign contribution limits. So to me, I have I I believe it's freedom of speech, and I believe that this issue. The, we, what we have in Missouri is best because we can see who's giving what, and who, and therefore we can see who's donating to, to the candidates.
2: But we can't see in all situations. For example, uh, Rex Singfeld's given a significant amount of money through some uh, campaign groups that he has. Now, in fairness, he set up groups that do have to file a list of their donors mm-hmm. with the Ethics Commission. So if you check into those groups, that's how you find out it's Rex Singfeld. There are other groups that don't have to file who their donors are, so we have no idea if it's Sinkfield, Humphreys, or whoever. And increasingly, some of those groups are getting involved in a number of statewide contests in the state. Uh, I'm thinking Attorney General and also Governor. So as Secretary of State, are you going to be doing any sort of av- advocacy that— 501c4s or 527s have to identify their donors if they're active in Missouri contests. How would you deal with this? Because they don't have transparency. So
1: I don't think that the, the Secretary of State really would get involved in that. I think that's a legislative decision, and legislation would have to be filed if they want to change the current law on that.
2: Yeah, but if Secretary of State, you can get somebody to sponsor something if you're keen on that. If you're not, I mean, that that's fine, but can you explain that?
1: So... I'm going to be focused on voter fraud. I'm going to be fo- focused on how we can improve our economy and bring more jobs to our state. I'm going to be f- focused on cutting wasteful spending in the secretary of state's office. Those are my priorities in the secretary of state's office. What you're talking about is, is a different subject. And, you know, as we continue down, it's something to be looked at and talked about. My priorities right now are the ones I just mentioned.
0: Well, OK, I want to just throw at you kind of the Democratic counterpoint to voter ID. There hasn't been widespread showcases of, I guess, voter impersonation fraud, which is something you hear every time this is brought up, but I would like you to kind of respond to that. Sure,
1: how would you know? How would you be able to catch somebody in today's society and in underneath our, in our, in our current realm of rules? we wouldn't be able to catch because they bring a utility bill and how can you identify someone's impersonating somebody else? Now I will tell you that in 2012, there was a woman that showed up to work after work to vote and couldn't vote actually had to file a provisional ballot because somebody had already voted for her. And so it does happen. Uh, and I, and I think that if you start looking at, The amount of fraud, the kinlocks of the world, what happened to the lady in 2012, uh, and the John Rizzo situation—you can see how people are trying to change the outcome of elections. And if people are trying to change the outcome of elections, you got to assume that they are going. There's potential of uh, impersonation fraud. And in today's society, you have to have a photo ID for everything. In order to buy Sudafed, you have to have a photo ID. To cash a check, you have to have a photo ID. How do you live in today's society without a photo ID?
2: Now, uh, a couple—just playing devil's advocate here—and a couple points. um, Um, as far as the photo ID requirements. First, when Matt Blunt was Secretary of State, and he made this an issue as well, however, um, he he had listed a bunch of cases of alleged impersonation, but I had to go through and investigate each one. It turned out, in every case, it was because the election official had 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 the person sign in the wrong line. I mean, they were registered, they just... And this may or may not have happened to this woman in 2012, where somebody just signed. I mean, I don't know that, that case. Second, the law at, that's going to be on the ballot really doesn't deal with absentee ballots, which, frankly, uh, in Missouri and in the St. Louis area, there's been a history of alleged fraud or verified fraud going back at least 40 years. Uh, I can verify that, if not longer before my time. Why does the, why so far are advocates not dealing with absentee ballots? The question of the fact that people can fraudulently cast those in favor of somebody, and there's nothing in the law that requires that they show a photo ID.
1: Actually, there is. I mean, in order to file an absentee ballot, you have to get it notarized. In most cases,
2: yeah, but the, they're they're believed in some ca- well in some cases in St. Louis, what it was it was somebody was fraudulently notarizing all these things. And so they so the
1: the notary is is violate, is is in is is the one that's breaking the law. But a current law and and the, there's nothing to stop that from happening. I mean, how would you verify because someone's ID when that's people mail in? Valid?
2: We're talking about mail-in absentee right. ballots, not people who show right, up. Right. How the...
1: how would you mail? How would you verify someone's ID when they're mailing it in?
2: I don't know. That's why I'm asking you.
1: So I I <laughs> you know the reason why we did the law the way we did the law is we had a constitutional lawyer that has actually argued a case in front of the Supreme Court on voter ID. And this is what that constitutional lawyer believes is the right wording for the the constitutional change. And with the court throwing out earlier versions, I think it's important that we have a version that will stand the supreme court's scrutiny and not be thrown out and so that's why we use the wording we did and if if there's a way we can come back and do something with absentee uh, voter fraud and checking for ids uh, that's something we can look at down the way down the road but i didn't i looked at it and i was thinking how can you verify it anyways well a copy of the driver's license well that doesn't mean you can't get somebody else's driver's license and copy it i mean so how's that verifying a person's id i don't know how to do that with absentee and i'm open to suggestions and willing to talk to anybody about that
0: now, before we get into the political machinations of this race a little bit further, there are other aspects of the Secretary of State's offices besides election. Business registration's a big deal, mm-hmm. uh, securities regulation is a big deal. What other things would you want to do in the other realms of the Secretary of State's office if you become that office holder?
1: So I believe in making sure we cut every bit of red tape. Uh, when if somebody goes on to the Secretary's website, if it's slow and bogs down and, and people can't get what they need done, uh, that, that's, that's going to take them away from doing what they need to do best in their business. So what we need to do is make sure their website works. We need to make sure that there's not duplicate forms, don't need to be going – To this site and that site to fill out the similar information. Let's streamline, let's reduce the paperwork and the bureaucracy in the Secretary of State's office. I believe we can use technology to do that, uh, and so that's what I'm going to do on that side of things. Uh, As we continue, also, I think customer service is very important. I'm a business major, and I think that everybody that comes through the Secretary of State's office needs to make sure that they're being served at a high degree of customer satisfaction. So we're going to make sure that that we have a little icon on our website so that people that have problems or concerns tell us what we can do to improve our service in the Secretary of State's office.
0: Uh, Well, another thing that comes to mind is also ballot summary language, which I guess goes back into the realm of elections. When Robin Carnahan was Secretary of State, a lot of Republicans but I think some democratic groups were a little dismayed with how she wrote some of the ballot summaries I I mean I I could be wrong here but I think that that, con- that controversy has died down to some extent under Candor's administration. Well, no,
2: well there have been well, for one thing they changed the state law on some of it, but on the other hand, there have been some legal fights. In yep. fact, there's one now over
0: But that that's yeah. pretty common. I mean I think groups sue over ballot summaries. But they regardless. didn't used to yeah. until
2: about fifteen years so ago.
0: So would you want to change that process at all? Because I remember when Shane Scholler was the nominee in two thousand twelve, he proposed a pretty expansive change to how that's actually done. What's kind of your thoughts on that process?
1: I think we need to have a Secretary of State that's going to write fair language that that people can understand. And so I I don't believe that the current process needs to be changed. I think we just need to have the right person at the realm that's going to make sure that that language uh, makes common sense and people can understand it. I think all too often, uh, I will tell you, my son has already voted. My 18-year-old son, he went in and he voted just recently because he's going to be gone on Election Day. And he said, Dad, that that language was confusing. And I said, that's—and he he goes, I— he actually told my wife this. He said, I can see why we need dad in the Secretary of State's office. Uh, I'm a common person. I'm an officer in the United States military. Uh, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not going to use legalese. And, and I think that common language that people can understand is what we need to go with. And that's what I will bring to that
2: office. Now, uh, one of the other um, requirements for Secretary of State, they also oversee like invest. Mm-hmm. Investment, security investments. Yeah, for security investments, which seems kind of odd, but that's the way it is. <laughs> Are there things that you would do about that? Because I know there's been increasingly some um, evidence of fraud or attempted fraud, as particularly of older people in their, in their money and spent up to the Secretary of State to try to get either of these uh, investment firms or individuals thrown out or prosecuted.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I don't know that there's anything that needs to be fixed in that realm. I will tell you that there's about 26 people that work in that division. Uh, if anything, we probably potentially need to to bulk it up a little bit and get some more employees in there to make sure that they have enough people to do their job, uh, because 26 people are covering the entire state of Missouri and, and the millions of dollars that are going through security seems a little light to me. Uh, so that's what I would be doing is looking at that to make sure that it's running properly and, and they have the right resources in, inside that division.
2: Well, well, you mentioned you did want to cut the office, though. So where would I
1: you go? to cut wasteful spending. Okay. So okay. cut wasteful spending is different than cutting, cutting the okay. office. Uh, I believe that y- y- in any organization that has 200 over 260 employees, there's wasteful spending. And, and I am a budget hawk. I am going to look for any bit of wasteful spending that's going on in, in the secretary of state's office. And, and I think through technology, we can streamline some processes and, and, and make things more efficient.
0: Now, the reason I was just looking down at my phone was not being rude, but also just looking at some of the, the the back and forth of this race. And one of the things that I've noticed, especially in your ad, is you criticize your opponent for, you know, the merchant marine thing, for not voting in certain elections, for things he said in a prior campaign. And it kind of brings up a, a question like he doesn't have a voting record. he He doesn't have questions like I asked about how you voted for things you know, five, ten years ago. Does that make it more difficult to run against him because he doesn't have this defined record? And the things you're kind of attacking him on may not be as impactful as, say, voting against or for something?
1: So I would say running against the last name is very difficult in this state. I think the last name is... But that's what this whole ad's about. It's about making sure people understand who Jay Ashcroft is and and what he has not accomplished in his life. Uh, I think it speaks volumes to see that he lost a state Senate race and then turns around and runs statewide. Who does that? Who has the ability to do that? Only somebody with a last name like Ashcroft can actually pull something like that off.
0: Yeah. But uh, to be fair, that race was uh, in a democratic leaning district. And that was held,
1: that was held by a Republican and redistricting actually made it better than it was when it was won by John Lamping. Right. And at the same year that we lost that seat, we picked up the Jefferson County seat. So when you start looking at it, it wasn't a wave of people against Republicans. It was the candidate in that race. If you look at it across the board, uh, Paul Whelan won Mm -hmm. a, a seat that was held by a Democrat. We lost the seat that was held by a Republican.
0: Interestingly, when he was on our show, he joked that having the Ashcroft name probably hurt him in that district because that district is probably more moderate than, than those those other districts you just mentioned. I would
1: tell you that I think that most people would say that his name will hurt him in the general election. I think that me being on the general election will help Republicans. I have a base of support in Lee Summit that will come out in a larger percentage in November to support me. I, I think that my military background will help get crossover vote. I, I think my record of cutting taxes will help also get crossover vote. I think I'm a better November candidate for the Republican Party.
2: Now, though, you mentioned, though, that his name... It makes it more difficult for you to run against him in the primary, correct? Mm -hmm. Okay, so is there certain pockets of the state like Springfield, Joplin, around that area where it's more difficult because John Ashcroft was from Springfield? I mean, as you're campaigning, are there places where you're finding that either people don't know who you are or where you have to lay out your key um, differences between you and uh, Jay Ashcroft?
1: So the biggest difficulty here is just name ID that the last name when people get to meet my opponent and they get to meet me i will tell you that most of them are coming my uh, coming my way they look at what i've been able to accomplish in my life 24 years military service 13 months in iraq 340 combat flight hours convoy commander of, of almost 100 soldiers going into iraq i manage multi-million dollar projects for sprint uh, then I moved in the General Assembly. I passed a bill to make it easier for our deployed military members to vote overseas. I passed the uh, voter ID bill. I passed a bill to make it where the Secretary of State can investigate voter fraud. I passed a bill to it reduce our income taxes. You see all of those things, and, and then you look on the other side of the, uh, the the ticket on my primary opponent. What major accomplishment has he had in his life that compares to what I've done? And so I think that this race is going to come down to our records, our records, not his father's record, but our records. And I think when you look at the resume and you look at my accomplishments versus his accomplishments, it's very unbalanced.
0: So if you are the nominee, you will likely be going up against Robin Smith. She does have a primary against two who I would consider perennial candidates. But for for all intents and purposes, the Democratic Party is backing her. Um, How do you think you would stack up against her? She's a first time candidate. She she has name recognition here because she was on TV a lot but I don't know if, what her name recognition is elsewhere. Um, but again, she also doesn't have a voting record, which may make her a little bit more difficult to attack. How do you think you would stack up against her if you're the nominee?
1: I think it's going to be a great race. I've you know, i obviously been traveling the state for 24 months campaigning, getting to know people all across the state. My wife and I have been very involved in our community back in, in Kansas City, and we've actually made inroads into um, the inner city in a couple areas. And so I think that that the race is going to be It's always difficult when you're running statewide in Missouri. It's not a given anywhere, and so we're going to get out and we're going to campaign hard just like we've done. Uh, I won a Democrat House district um, back in 2004. I beat a Democrat incumbent. So we're going to make sure we talk about the issues that are mattering most to people, and, and jobs is one of them. And we're going to talk about what we've done to help improve our economy and bring more jobs to our state.
0: And this has been a reoccurring question to all statewide candidates because the presidential race looms very large in these contests. In fact, you could make an argument that, that you could make an argument that when you talk about Secretary of State, Treasurer, Lieutenant Governor, or even to some extent Attorney General, the national environment plays a role in who wins. So it's a very it's a very strange national environment right now, to put it mildly. Mm-hmm. We have a situation where Donald Trump is going to likely be the uh, GOP nominee. He's said a lot of controversial things, but as I've said on this show many times, I've seen no evidence that Trump is going to lose Missouri at this point the polling that is cited by like 538 that that suggests it's close is almost four months old, and I would say not worth the paper it's written on right now. So with that as a backdrop, how do you think the national environment will affect Secretary of State's race if you're the nominee?
1: Well, I think obviously the top of the ticket drives uh, a majority of voters. And when people aren't happy with a certain nominee, uh, they either don't turn out or they, they turn out to vote against. And so I think that the Hillary Clinton in the state of Missouri and, and what she just got away with, with the, the situation with classified documents, is going to help us in Missouri turn out more Republicans to vote against Hillary Clinton.
0: What do you think is worse, though, that particular scandal, flap, controversy, whatever you want to say it, are like the dozens of controversial things Trump has said that has made women, minorities, veterans upset?
2: Well, his bankruptcies.
0: And his bankruptcies, like— He said a lot of things I could make an argument are just as bad as the email scandal.
1: I I find that very hard to believe. Explain. I mean, you take classified information and you mishandle it, and people have gone to prison for that, and you get away with it. I'm sorry. And then then the Benghazi situation where people were saying, hey, we need help. Or pull us out, and she did nothing. I mean, you look at those two situations, and I think overwhelmingly I don't see how people support Hillary Clinton. I mean I just absolutely don't I mean if I'm in the United States military, if I handled classified information the way she handled classified information, i'd be in jail
2: well, I mean I don't want to get into that I mean, although we did watch the FBI director um, just a day or two ago um, kind of lay out his his reasons, good or bad. But as you running, because one of the things that did happen in 2012, while Mitt Romney carried the state by a huge percentage, um, the controversy involving Claire McCaskill and Todd Akin, where she won decidedly, then that seemed to have more of an impact going down the ticket. I mean, one could argue that Secretary of State's race in particular was one of those where it was a close finish. And that Republican Shane Scholler might have won if mm-hmm. it had not been yeah, for the country. It's
0: kind of add on to that, I intended to give a shout out to Scholler. I mean, with the exception of Peter Kinder, who won, I think Scholler was arguably the, the strongest down ballot candidate that year. He only lost by a very small margin for the GOP. And, and while he was attacked by Jason Kander, I, I don't think he made any cataclysmic mistakes, which is probably why he's a Green County. Pro- clerk right now and was able to continue on with his political career. But she does bring up a good point. How important do you think gubernatorial and U.S. Senate race are going to have as, as, as we just talked about the presidential race?
1: I think the top of the ticket is extremely important, all the way from Trump, all the way down to the U.S. Senate and the governor's race. And so, I, you know, I think we need to make sure we have the best candidate for that. And I think that if you look at our candidates, all of them, uh, I believe, are, are tiers above the Democrats.
0: Well, we'll be watching those races as well as your race very closely. I'm not just saying this because you're here, but because I did cover this race last time. The Secretary of State's office is one of the most important statewide offices that doesn't get a lot of attention. So we'll be monitoring the results of your primary and your general election if you win the nomination very closely. For all of our stories, stlpublicradio.org is where to go. You can follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. You can follow Joe on Twitter at...
2: J Manis, that's J-M-A-N-N-I-E-S. And
0: do you have Twitter or a website I that do. we can go to?
1: Kraus, K-R-A-U-S, the number four S-O-S.
2: <laughs> okay, yeah, we, we've had a running debate about this. Go ahead. And do, do you have a Facebook site? I, or I
0: do, Will Kraus. Okay. We'll be back next time. Okay. Until then, so long.
2: So
1: we stay on the open road. i